bent back over what you just said and thought, I am the most petty person on the earth with what you were not content with. Uh, we find it in life all the time. And in fact, really our biggest struggle is that we put our desire to be content in the wrong things. And therefore, we never really actually find contentment. I want to tell you, uh, as we get going here, it is my contingency based on my, my belief in God's word and seeing it work in people's lives, that you will never find ultimate contentment in your life without surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. It, it just, it won't happen. You, you might find happiness, some good times here or there. For, it might last a short period. It might last 10 years. But eventually, there is this feeling, there's this void within you that you will say, I, I can't figure out how to fill that up and get content satisfied, find joy, peace in life, and I'm just convinced you can't find it without Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to tell you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, you, maybe you come to Wendover a, a bit, or you go to different churches, hop around, or you just know a Christian who talks about it a bunch, and so you feel like you, you have a knowledge and an understanding of what we're talking about, but you never said yes to Christ. You never made that decision to say, I'm going to solidify this, I am living for Christ. I'm going to give you that opportunity at the end of our service this morning. It's the best decision you'll make, an opportunity to find contentment. I mean, why walk out this morning? Why go away from here knowing how God could offer you contentment, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment in your life and not take the opportunity? So I want you to wrestle with it. In the next about 25 minutes as we walk through this, I want you to wrestle with all of it, okay? So, uh, that's, that's our prompt to start, but if you have been with us, you'll know we're walking through this series called Ten, and basically we're walking through the Ten Commandments, and we're asking, do they have any relevance to us today? I mean, it's the Old Testament, right? Uh, I mean, we're like Jesus people. We don't even have to worry about that, right? And we've learned every step of the way in this walk in the last nine weeks that these are not only vital, but they are built into God's word all the way through his word, how central these commandments are. We said the first three commandments focus entirely on my vertical relationship with God. That if I don't start off putting God first, then I will never really become connected with him. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, if anything in your life, if you want to get better at it and you don't make it a priority, guess what? you don't get better at it. It's just the bottom line. It just doesn't happen by osmosis. And so when we put God first in our life, we start to grow and build in our relationship with him. We start to learn more about him. As we learn more about him, we start to learn more about myself. And guess what? I've got more I learn about surrendering to God. And I surrender it. And then I find out more about God's goodness after I surrendered those things. And it's just this cycle that just keeps going in my, my deepening relationship with him. That's the first three commandments. Then we talked about this issue of keeping the, the Sabbath. And when we talked about keeping the Sabbath, it was up at, at this bridge between the first couple commandments and then the, the next group that we got into. And this bridge is basically, if, if I don't stop in life to rest the way God had designed me to rest that I'm going to have trouble balancing anything. I'm going to have trouble balancing putting God first. I'm certainly going to have balancing and have trouble balancing my interaction and my connection with other people in life as well. And it just throws everything out of whack. And I'm constantly saying those, those words that we always say is, I'm just so busy. And God said, well, great. Why'd you put that on yourself? <laughs> I didn't design you that way. I didn't create you that, to do that. Why do you keep putting that on yourself? Take and enjoy my Sabbath. 
And then after that, we got into these commandments we've been talking about, and they're basically, they have to do with how we interact with other people, how we speak to other people, how we treat other people, how we don't take from other people. And so it built on that relationship of how we, we deal with them. Here's our final one. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, the end of that chapter. Now, it's not the end of his commands, though. So if you're, if you're intrigued, and I hope you are, keep reading on in the book of Exodus. Just keep reading right through. Those first five books of the Bible when we talked about were the Pentateuch. Just keep reading right on through those books, and you'll see more stuff. And I will admit, it, it takes some, some effort to read through some of that stuff. Uh, but there's some good stuff in there. But here's the last of our Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, or ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You must not covet. Must not covet. You see, here's the key to this verse, is God is telling us, you've got to find contentment in who you are and what I've given you. You've got to find contentment in that. Or you're never going to find balance. In fact, the first nine commandments, I mean, you can work as hard as you want on those first nine commandments, but if you can't ever work on ten, if you can't ever find contentment in that, then we've really probably struggled in the first nine. This is so central, this issue of contentment. And here's why it's so central. Because if you were all honest, if I gave you like the stage for a couple minutes, um, and I just said, just spill your guts, honesty about the areas of life you are not content in. None of you would probably say, not a lick, not a thing, all right? And it's not so bad. We're going to talk about that in a minute. There's some things that are like holy discontent. Um, But I think for many of us, we would agree and we would confess that we have a lot of petty discontentment. We have a lot of things we'd like just to do better or have more of, um, that really don't fit in with anything God has designed us to do or he needs us to be in life. We'll talk more about that as we get going here. But let's break down the verse first because it's interesting that as we've been reading these last couple ones, we've had very quick statements, do not, do not, do not, shall not. And then we get this one and there's a little more length to it. So let's break it down. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's what he's getting at here. Um, interesting. Neighbor. Why does he choose neighbor here to, to write? I mean, why, why is God putting it in this context? Well, community. Think about community. They've just been slaves for hundreds of years, and now they are free. They're out in the wilderness. They are trekking towards this promised land, and they have no culture community of their own. Not that's identified solely as theirs. What they have is some mixture of what they've picked up on it, being slaves in Egypt. And God is wanting to design something that is just theirs. Totally theirs. It's kind of like when your family, maybe your family of four or five or whatever comes together and say, you say, this is what we are about. We do that as the ravens. We say, this is what the ravens are about. Our family, we, our culture and our family, we want to be about being a blessing to other people so they come to know Christ. That, that's the culture of our family. It's one of the, the phrases we built into our family. God is building that, this culture into his people. And so he's building in this culture community. How we care for one another, how we speak to one another, how we, we've seen this the last five weeks. And so it would make sense 
that when he gets to the issue of being content and not looking on what somebody else has or somebody else is doing, he would put it in the context of neighbor, this community, this family, this body you're a part of. Don't, don't covet among one another. It's kind of like this. God would look at his, his creation and these, these Hebrews that are now in the, in the, out in the wilderness, and he would look on them like, kind of like a forest. All right? He looks at, if you look into a forest from a distance, it looks incredible. It looks beautiful, right? But if you were to go up in it, you would see trees that uh, aren't quite as pretty on their own. Maybe trees that are falling over a little bit. Maybe trees that have a lot of limbs on one side, but none on the other side, which is kind of odd when you look at it close up. You'd see all kinds of things in the forest. You might even get in there and see a little burn spot somewhere. But when you step back and you look at the total creation of the forest, you go, wow, man, that is perfect. It's beautiful. I'm going to take a picture of that. I'm going to do a painting of that, uh, if you're so inclined. Um, I'm going to put that uh, in a frame and hang it in my living room. That's how we think about that. God looks at you the same way. When he sits back and he knows some of you have some brokenness, some of you have some struggles in your life, some of you are going through the hardest time of your life you've ever gone through right here as you sit in this. And that's why this morning this message is so important to you, because you're looking for contentment in your life. And God looks back and he says, this is my beautiful creation. All of you is my beautiful creation. And just as we would not want to see a section of the forest just taken away from our photograph or our picture, God doesn't want to see that either. He looks at you and you say, you're, you're beautiful. You're perfect. Uh, you're designed like I wanted to design you. And so this issue of community and neighbor is a good context that he puts this in. He says, you're not going to covet your neighbor's wife. Um, well, basically saying, look, don't look at your neighbor's wife and say, man, she's got it going on. What's wrong with my wife? My wife doesn't have that. Or spouse, put it in your context as well. Uh, he's basically saying here, it, when you look at somebody else's wife or spouse there, if you were to look at them from the context of, man, I like that better than I like this, usually we're looking at it from a perspective that's not healthy anyway. I mean, if we're really not looking at it from the perspective of, this is my companion, my partner, my best friend, we're looking at it from the perspective of, I would like another trophy on my shelf. I would like a different trophy. I'd like to trade in my smaller trophy for a bigger trophy or a more beautiful trophy or whatever the phrase might be there. We're looking at it from a different perspective. For males, when we look at that, often it's, oh, well, she is more, you know, worldly attractive or younger than my current model, so um, I'm going to look for a little trade-in here. And we start to let our minds wander and run that direction. We're looking at it from a little bit more of a trophy standpoint. But think about it. A trophy, how long does a trophy take, really? I mean, what does it take of us? Nothing. You put it on a mantle, you clean it every once in a while, right? But how long does a, a best friend relationship take to cultivate and build into takes a long, long time. In fact, it never ends over the course of your marriage. In fact, that's probably why it's till death do us part, because you always have a task going on in building and cultivating the relationship with a friend. You don't just find that when you covet and you go get somebody else's spouse, husband, or wife. And God knows that. In fact, it builds right into some of the others we've talked about already. If you covet that way, you probably already have a breakdown in your marriage here. And we got to work on that first. Your male or female servant there, now you might think here, well, I don't have servants, so I don't really have the, the issue here, but let's just broaden the definition here. If we were to look at, when you, what is somebody else able to hire somebody to do for them? 
Well, why do they have gardeners? I wish we had a, could get a gardener in here. Well, they have a maid come in once a week. I can't get a maid in here once a week. And well, why do their co- kids get to go and get private tutoring or get a private coach or go get to play in this league? And, and on and on and off. We broaden our definition. Often it fits right into this issue of coveting. Why can't I have as well what they have? And he says this ox or donkey. Now you can look at this a couple different ways. Ox or donkey, that would have been the, the animal that was useful in their, their agriculture and in plowing their fields. A donkey would also have been useful to get on top of and, and go somewhere, maybe their mode of transportation. We know all about coveting modes of transportation, uh, do we not? When we look at somebody else's car and we go, wow, that's nice. I wish I didn't have this clunker I drive around. And we desire to have more and more in our cars one time I was up uh, at, on New Garden Road, and I pulled up, and um, no joke, it was a true story. Now, not that I'd tell you a lie, but I felt I needed to preface this story. There was a couple cars, and they had these stickers like they were dealer cars, and they pulled up, one on my left and one on my right, right in front of the Target Center where there's three lanes. One was a Ferrari, and it was red, like a current-day Magnum PI car that pulled up right next to me, and I was really intrigued with that way. And then um, um, an Ashton Martin, did I pronounce that right, pulled up next to me. I, I don't even much know anything about this car. Um, so when I was safely driving down the road, I Googled, uh, no, when I stopped, I Googled at, to look up the, the value of the cars. Um, and that Ferrari was a $100,000 car sitting next to me. The car on the right, which I didn't even really know about, I had to look up the model, it was a $120,000 car to the right of me. 100,000. Do you realize that at that intersection, just like right there in a row at that intersection, was $220,000 worth of automobiles between the three cars that were sitting there? <laughs> the Ferrari, the Ashton Martin, and the Blue Daewoo were sitting <laughs> right, right there. And I, I, th- I think I saw them coveting my car. While I were, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But uh, we do that quite a bit. God knows that. He speaks about this, our jobs coveting, or maybe our mode of transportation. Anything else that belongs to your neighbors. So just in case I didn't cover it, anything, anything. When you're sitting on your porch and you're looking across the street, anything. Pretty broad word to cover it all. That's what God's getting at here. He's saying, look, look on your neighbor. Look on your, your, someone in your community, and look, don't covet what they have. Be content in what you have. Well, what is this covet thing anyway? Um, coveting is basically an uncontrolled desire for more. If you've got your, your sermon notes, that's the first one to fill in. If you didn't get in here with some, just slip up your hand and Richard will come, come running and, and give you a copy of those. But coveting is the uncontrolled desire for more. Notice what we said. It's the uncontrolled desire for more, meaning there are some times when God has put within you this desire to say, no, I want to be about more. I want to be about more. And he pushes us and drives us towards what he's designed us to be. That's not coveting. That's not being discontent. But this uncontrolled desire for more, often it shows up in material things. That's coveting. It's coveting. Here's a question you could ask yourself, is this thing that I desire or I'm striving for, would this better equip me to accomplish God's mission on earth? Would it better equip me to accomplish God's mission? It's to say it from a totally different perspective. Not, would it be nice to have this? This would make life a little easier. It would be to start with the mission of the kingdom. 
if as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm about sharing my faith and seeing other people come to know the Lord, well, I need to ask, would this thing help me? I know what you're thinking, is you would think, man, that Ferrari would help me. And you've got a real, somewhat legitimate sounding reason why it would. Um, God may differ in his thinking. Would this help me better? If not, guess what? Chances are, I don't want to say always, chances are, it may fall in the coveting category or the discontent category. We have to be careful about this because we've got these dangers, and you know all about these dangers that pop up of coveting. Here's one thing, fatigue. When you covet things, you will work yourself to the bone to get things. And you will work yourself hard. 60 hours, 70 hours, 80 hours, whatever you need to do, time, uh, overtime. Listen, I'm not talking about being able to pay, you know, your rent, your mortgage, put food on the table. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when we have the strong desire to have more and more and more. It'll absolutely wear you out. This desire, this uncontrolled, this coveting. Second thing it'll do for you um, is debt. It'll just give you debt. Because if you walk into the car dealership and coveting wins the battle that day, it added debt to you. Unless you had it in your pocket when you walked in, um, it adds debt. And uncontrolled, this uncontrolled state of this could add all kinds of debt to us, whether it's credit card debt or whether it's getting car loans or whatever else may be. You're smart enough to fill in blanks there. So the thing is, it causes worry. I just get worried about this type of stuff. I stress about it. I may stress about the debt side of it. I may stress about the work or the extra stuff. I, I may just stress that I don't feel like I can provide for my kids because I can't, I, I don't know how I'm going to get them all an iPad this Christmas. And, and whatever, whatever you're thinking there, it, it causes this, this worry and often unnecessary worry. It causes conflict in our lives. Conflict because coveting, you put two people together, and they often don't line up on all the coveting. You put your, your husband and your wife together, and they might not line up on what they're discontent in, or what they feel like they need. You get relational conflict right away uh, in your life. And finally, of course, is there's just dissatisfaction. We're just, we're just not satisfied with it. I mean, we get it, and a few days later, you know, we're just not satisfied the way we were. I collected McDonald's all-star, or they were Olympic basketball cards one time. You go, you know, you get a, a combo, you get five cards, and I worked that McDonald's hard uh, to get those cards. And this is before, you know, eBay and, and the, the internet rolling with everything, and, uh, and so you didn't just Google somebody that might have it and then buy it from I So I worked McDonald's during my college years, and finally I got all the cards put together in the set after, you know, several months of eating uh, at McDonald's. And you know what I did with that, that uh, folder of cards that I nicely put them in? I have no idea. I've never seen it since. I legitimately have never seen it since the day that I put the last card in, looked at it a few times in great satisfaction and joy like a little kid, put it away in what I thought was a closet, but when I moved out, I, I never saw it again. Never saw it. That's how incredibly satisfied I was in that our dissatisfaction. It just, we work, and then it goes away, and we've got to have something else. Paul knew of this. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content in whatever I have. I mean, this is Paul. Remember, we were talking about this character uh, a while back when we walked through the whole book of Acts. 
You might say, well, Paul, that's great. He, he must have had a really good life, some good stuff going on in his life. No, he was in prison when he wrote that. In prison. I mean, think about that for a second. He was in prison when he wrote that I have found contentment in all things. You can read that and gloss over that and go, wow, good for him. But we're third in the line at the grocery store, and the teller's going a little slow up there at the counter, and what are we doing? Goodness gracious. Could this day get any worse? Oh, but such petty, small things. And he writes, as he's in prison, and this is not U.S. prisons where he might have certain rights. I mean, he's in prison here, and he says, I've learned how to be content in whatever I have. Look, some of you, just stop right there. You can forget everything else I'm going to say after that. <coughs> you just need to take that verse and put it into your heart right now. Commit it to memory and let that just bang right up into your head every single time there, this desire to covet or to be discontent in what you have comes out. Every time you're like, man, I got, we got to redo this kitchen. I, I, just, I can't live in this anymore. Every time you look across the street and you say, wow, they're getting that put in. We should probably think about getting that put in. Whatever it is that you find yourself discontent, this verse should just ring loud and clear where you say, I've got to find contentment in whatever I have. Because you know, it would only take about a 30-second Google search to find millions and millions and millions of people throughout the world who would just beg to have a tenth of what you have. And they would have incredible contentment in that food, a house. So we have to find contentment. Paul learned it while he's in prison. We're not in prison. Should be an easier lesson for us to learn, right? So let's go on. I want to look in the back of this and we're just going to ask ourselves, <coughs> how do you learn contentment? How do you learn how to be content if you're struggling with it? Now, now, let me preface this for a second. At the beginning, I talked about Jesus really being the only one, I believe, that can bring contentment to your life. So if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, now in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you the opportunity to say yes to Christ this morning. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, let me just say up front before I talk about these next four. You can memorize these next four. You can pin this up on the refrigerator. You can put them into play in your life. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, these only carry so much weight. They only carry so much weight. The power is on what the Holy Spirit does in our life when we surrender to him, follow him, and then start living by biblical principles. That's what these next four are, just living by biblical principles. But when God has inhabited our obedience, uh, there is victory in that. And so this morning, I'm going to tell you right now, take these home. If you don't, if you don't know Christ, use them, put them into practice. But no... <coughs> that surrendering to Christ is the weight of all of this. It's the power behind each of this. In fact, let me broaden that before we go on and say, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've got a testimony, if you say, hey, there was this Sunday morning, I said, yes, I went to this camp, you know, yesterday I went to the Billy Graham Museum, you know, maybe you said, I went to a Billy Graham crusade one time, whatever it is, and you said, I said yes to Jesus, you know, uh, my heart was hard, and then God got a hold of me, and I said yes, but you just know today, sitting here, you're like, man, there's got to be more to the power of the Holy Spirit than what I've experienced because you've just kind of put them down and you've forgotten that first principle, that first commandment we talked about, no other gods before him. This is pretty important for you to know 
that you might need to re-surrender to Christ today. This might just be a time for you to say, look, I recommit to you, God. I got off track. I haven't made you a priority. haven't put these, these commandments in place, and I want to do that this morning. All right, now that's the preface. Let's look at these. Uh, how do I learn contentment? Number one, resist comparing yourself to other. It's that simple. Resist comparing yourself to others. Now, many of you I know... Um, <coughs> You have somebody, I don't know, at your work, uh, in your neighborhood, at your gym, wherever you go, and that is the person that you kind of compare yourself to. I want to be honest for a second here. When I uh, started doing Taekwondo about three and a half years ago, three years ago, um, I had somebody I compared myself to. Um, and I don't want to just say compared myself to, but it was kind of like the, man, I, I need to figure out how to beat that guy um, in different areas. So, you know who that person was? <laughs> Stand up, Mike. <laughs> this is him, Mike, Mike, right over here. Now, um, you, I know you're looking and you're going, well, well, Tom, you're so big and muscular and tall and, and strong compared to Mike. Um, <coughs> it should have been really easy, um, but it wasn't. He's very elusive um, out on the Taekwondo. But no, really, I, it, it's just something natural about that. You kind of pick out somebody. It didn't mean I didn't like Mike. I mean, we actually became really good friends. Um, okay, well, I like him. I don't know if he likes me, but um, it didn't mean, but it, it meant, you know, I'm going to let him challenge me and push me and drive me, and every once in a while, maybe I'll even finish on top of something here and there. We had these obstacle courses right after class that they would set up, and we would run through these obstacle courses. And uh, number one priority was I needed to beat anyone under the age of 18. Um, and if, I, if I could do that, I felt like, man, that is, that is bragging rights central if I can beat somebody under 18. Um, <clears throat> but then I got to a point where I was like, you know, the 18-year-olds, they, they just weren't great obstacle people. So I said, I've got to beat Mike Haig. So, and then I'll really feel like, and I don't know, I remember one time we tied on the obstacle course by the end. Huh? You said you beat me? Okay, I would just, just hush, okay? <laughs> just hush. <coughs> All right, I'm telling a story up here. Um, I'm going to tell it as we tied, so, <coughs> but anyhow, we, we do that naturally. We pick somebody out, and we're like, I need to, and this uncontrolled side of it, it leads just to, to danger. It, here's what the Bible says, this is a great verse. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as those men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. That they're comparing themselves, and they're saying, look, they're just using themselves as the measurement. Whereas God said, look, I've designed you. I've created you. I have a calling on your life. I, I want you to be something or be about something. I'm a God who likes to give my children good gifts. That's what God's Word says. Why would you use each other to compare each other? Why, why wouldn't you use my calling on your life as your comparison? It doesn't make any sense to, to Paul as he's writing this. It would make no sense. And that's why he says at the end, how ignorant. How ignorant is that? It's just not very smart to use your measure. It's like, it's just saying, you know, I am going to be a big jumper now, um, and I'm going to measure myself and how high I'm going to jump, but maybe that speaker is the highest measurement I'm going to use to jumping. Now, I'm not going to try to jump it because I might trip, and then the whole analogy would, would just not sound good, but <coughs> that's not that high. No, I should push to a standard that's much, much higher, because um, God said, I've designed you for 
incredibleness, my measuring rod is so much different than what you're... In fact, my measuring rod is greater than your measuring rod of just comparing to one another. <coughs> your uh, net worth, it really has nothing to do with your self-worth. <coughs> Meaning your, your value, your net worth. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with really your self-worth and who God has designed you to be. Let's look at the second one. Uh, rejoice in what you have. Rejoice in what you have. I mean, do you look around your house often, your apartment, and say, man, d- Lord, thank you so much that you provided this for me. Sometimes we do it like right after we've coveted so hard and we've finagled and we got that thing that we really shouldn't have got and can't afford and we go, oh, thank you, Lord that you got this for me. And then when the first payment comes, we go, oh, no, this is terrible, Lord. Help me out of this. Uh, <coughs> but do we look around and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for providing. Thank you that tonight my family is going to be under a dry roof. And we're, we're, we're thankful that we are in this house. And there's things that have to be done and, and things that we can't afford to do. But God, thank you that you have provided this for me. Thank you, Lord, that I can get in the car and I can drive to church or I can drive to the grocery store. I don't have to walk down there and, and hike everything on my back. And my car you know, has some issues and there's duct tape on the side and whatever else. It may not be your context, but, um, but Lord, thank you that I have a functioning automobile. And looking around, just rejoicing in what we have. Ecclesiastes 5.19 and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this indeed is a gift from God. To do what he's designed you to do, to do exactly the, what he's put you in to do, that's a great gift and a great joy is what's being write, written. I love when he says to accept your lot in life. I think when we hear that verse we hear that phrase particular, we think of movies and TV shows and we have this false view of accepting our lot in life. Like it's just like, well, I guess I'm just going to accept this is all I can be in life. And that's not what the writer's getting at. He's saying accept it, like to find a tremendous joy in it, to find satisfaction in it. That is it a grind? Maybe it's a huge grind on your life. Are there days where you don't even like it? I would guess would be the case. But to find the joy in what you're doing. Contentment's not getting what you want, but enjoying what you have. There is happiness in getting what you want. We found that really on Friday every year when, of course, now it was on Thursday night as well, when people got out and they were able to get through a line and buy that thing that they were hoping to buy. There's happiness that comes in that, but contentment comes really in enjoying what you have. I mean, how many dollars do we spend on little one-and-a-half and, and two-year-olds, these incredible little play toys that they make now? They, the electronics are just incredibly in-depth for a, a one- and a two-year-old. But if you throw them an empty cardboard box, they'll enjoy it just as much or more. Um, and so just wrap up a box this year is what I'm encouraging you to do. Um, no, I'm not advocating necessarily. But <coughs> what I'm saying is it, it proves the principle. Just enjoying what we have. Thirdly, release what you have to others. This is so anti-cultural, to release what you have. That you're going to actually find contentment if you give away what you have? Yeah. 
Yeah, now, wait a second, because some of you translated immediately. Here was the whole mindset. As soon as I said that, you're like, yeah, I've been meaning to kind of clean up the basement a little bit and get that junk out of there and get it over to Goodwill. I probably should do that. I feel better about myself. Um, that's not what I'm talking about, <laughs> all right? Uh, you may need to do that, though. Uh, we're talking about releasing what you have. Just releasing what you have to help other people. Is what you have that's helpful for yourself, would it be helpful to somebody who has no opportunity to have that on their own? There's incredible contentment and joy when we release that and give that to somebody else and to offer it. I mean, think about the, just on the small level. When you go through the drive-thru at some fast food restaurant and you get a meal and you set it right next to you and you're going to eat it at some point when you stop or get home, but you turn the corner and guess who's on the corner? Somebody that's letting you know they need food or money or a job. And God just hits your heart in that moment and says, why don't you just give them your food? Is it that big of a deal to just hand over your food? And you're obedient and you say, yeah, and you hand it out the window and you move on. Don't you just, for, if, if only even for a moment, found great joy and contentment in handing over something that you might have just spent six bucks of your money on and you were planning on eating yourself, you weren't going to store it in the basement with all your other junk. <coughs> yeah. Think about creating a lifestyle of that where you just gave away. Where you said, oh yeah, I have this, I can hit. Look, Chris, Chris um, Kivett's trailer is still sitting at my house because he's constantly so generous with his trailer and because I haven't returned it. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, can I use your trailer? Hey, no problem, come get it, it's yours. And when I tell him this morning, hey, I gotta get that back, he said, hey, you know, whenever. Um, that's being generous with his stuff that's not stored down in a basement. You find incredible contentment in your life. First Timothy 6 says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Let me pause for just a second. Teach those who are rich in this world. Can I just tell you, we're all in that category. <laughs> You may not be com rich compared to somebody else in the U.S., but go throughout the world. We're all in that category, every single one of us. This verse is talking to us. Tell them to use their money to do what? Good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So coveting, guess what? It's destroyed by generosity. If you're really struggling with coveting, you can identify it very clearly. Well, do this this morning. Go right home, find things that are valuable to you that you could bless somebody else with, and just start giving them away to people. Start blessing people with your generosity and find out if it doesn't bring contentment. Now, will fear sneak in there? Sure. It's, it's the devil's great trick to give you fear. But push through and you'll find contentment. Here's the last one. Refocus on things that last. Here's what 2 Corinthians 4.16 says. That's why we never give up. Through our though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. That we refocus on things that last. That when we refocus on eternal things, those are things that last. They last forever. It's, as I went through the museum yesterday at, in Billy Graham, and if you've never been down there, it'd be a great thing to go see and just to see the impact of the kingdom through somebody in our lifetime. Um, but here's the thing that I walked away with. Um, I walked away with a, somewhat of a little sadness to think, you know, most even Christians never understand or get on board 
that as Christians, we are called to be a part of God's mission and to lead other people to Jesus Christ, to share the gospel, to share the good works, to share our testimonies. That is lasting. That's lasting. I mean, you might have, get some, some neat stuff in your life, and you might work really hard to, you know, remodel a bedroom or a bathroom or whatever it may be. You may really work hard to get all the bushes just right in your yard and all that kind of stuff. None of it is lasting. Somebody 20 years down the road will need to remodel that bathroom because it'll look old. Somebody will need to come in and probably work on those bushes next year just to maintain them. Um, disease might pop up and the bushes may be gone. But when you lead somebody to Jesus Christ... You have made an eternal impact on somebody's life. And I'm telling you, when we walk through the book of Acts, 12 guys made this impact on the whole world, turned it upside down. Uh, what could just a group, of, uh, just like us, our number, go out and do if we said, I'm going to be committed to sharing who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to be committed to sharing my testimony. I'm going to be committed that whatever I look on and desire to bring into my life and work towards so that I have, that it has kingdom value and that has missional value to leading people to Jesus Christ. And so happiness, it, it doesn't come from our possessions. I think you're already getting the gist of that, but it comes from our perspective. That if we have a totally different perspective, and our perspective is, I'm going to be about the mission of the kingdom. I'm going to be about what God would have me do. And that brings a complete refocus to our lives entirely. I think this is the one we struggle with the most. I think when we get to the point where we say, I, I need to not covet this, I need to be happy with my current coffee maker and not get a bigger one, um, I think we can overcome those things eventually when we focus on them. But it takes going before God, surrendering to God, and to saying, God, transform me to really have a passion for reaching people for Jesus Christ and telling them about the gospel. <coughs> I'm going to pray for you specifically on this for a second. And, and then uh, we're going to go into a time of communion this morning. And, and I want to talk about the hope that we have in Christ in our contentment in just a second as we lead into to communion. I've invited the praise team if they would kind of lead us and, and just set our hearts ready f to receive the communion. But let me pray for you on specifically what we just talked about. Father, this morning, I, I would guess there's somebody sitting here right now, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Savior. And this is, this is the time. This is the time for them to say, I need to find contentment and joy in my life lasting. And it's only going to come through saying yes to Jesus. Prepare their hearts right now, Lord, to say yes to you in just a moment here. But Lord, I know that there's Christians in here, Lord, that are struggling with this as well. They, they said yes, they come to church, they're, they're Christians. But Father, they just have wrap themselves up with, with what we do in our culture. Living suburbia out and gaining a little bit more each year. And Lord, ultimately, they carry the same problems they've always carried in their life. And so this might be a morning for them in just a moment here to say, I've got to recommit. I need to surrender here. I need to chart my path different. And then, Lord, I would guess there's Christians that are sitting here and um, and really, at their core, their issue with contentment is they've never surrendered to the mission you have on this earth. To share who you are. To lead somebody else into your kingdom. And to just be that light in every avenue. And so, Lord, for them, they, they're just saying, this is a time where I, I need to refocus entirely and I need to be missional in my life. 
And then in just a moment, they have that opportunity as we take communion as well. We pray that in your son's name. Amen.